I am really glad to, to be here and to have this opportunity to share with you guys. Um, our family has been a church of Christ, or part of Christ Church Albany since September of 22, so it has been a year and a half. Um, and we're really grateful to be here, and I'm grateful that John has invited me to, to uh, teach and preach for you guys this morning. Um, a little bit about me. Um, I have worked in ministry for quite a few years. Prior to this, I was serving as a pastor just north of Boston. I've served as a chaplain and a pastoral coach. I like to joke that I have three jobs currently. I work um, as the executive director of Love Serve Albany here at Christ Church. I also work a couple weekends a year coaching um, pastors and churches, coaching and training. Um, and then what I like to call my full-time job is teaching my sixth grader. Um, who is home with me for homeschooling. So, um, I, yeah, I am glad to be able to use my gift here and to share with our community um, for our church family. So the last few weeks here in Christ Church, Pastor John has been preaching about how our orthodoxy affects our orthopraxy, how what we believe affects how we live out our lives. In other um, we spent a week talking about heaven, about how heaven is here and now and not something that's just for the future. We spent a week talking about Jesus and what it means for him to be Lord over all. And when John asked me two months ago if I would consider preaching this week and he sent me the sermon schedule and I opened up the file and I looked and I'm like, I wonder what I'll be preaching on. And his topic was, what is the gospel? And I kind of laughed to myself. I'm like, great. John gives me this super easy, <laughs> very easy to define. You know, it'll take me no time at all. And I'm sure any of you could get up here and do the same thing, right? Like, let's just define what the gospel is in one Sunday morning service. Um, defining words in general is a hard task. I don't know how often you've tried to define something without opening a dictionary or looking it up on Google. Um, but... I, it happens pretty often teaching sixth grade where I'll say a word or a word will come up and my 12-year-old will just say, what, what does that mean? And then I have to try to tell him what it is. And it's much harder than it seems to just come up with a definition. Um, I should just pull out Google. And a lot of times I do. I'm like, well, let's see what that means. But agreeing on a definition is so important. Dallas Willard, you can put that quote up, once said, the gospel you preach will determine the disciple you get. So we have to degree, agree on a definition because the gospel that we preach will determine the kind of disciples that we make. And if we at Christ Church are trying to make disciples, which I think we would all agree is our goal here, agreeing on a definition will help us shape the kind of disciples we'll end up with. Because the ways that we talk about the gospel and the ways that we engage the scripture around the gospel determines how we live out the gospel. And I was curious about the number of definitions that exist out there, because you could look it up for any word. If you look up a definition, there's often multiple, right? It brings a whole realm of meaning into it. And I, there's not really a good way to figure out how, but I thought maybe if we thought there's one definition per book, I looked up on Goodreads, and you can see the results. <laughs> This was last week. I looked yesterday. It's already gone up since then. <laughs> so there's about 66,931 books about what the gospel is. That's in English. <laughs> so if you tried to go into other languages, there would be even more. So almost 67,000 books. As I said, it's increased since then. You could read 
to understand what the gospel means. So good luck with that. Uh, my family was reading an article this weekend on, you know, like there's more books that exist than you could read in your entire lifetime. And that's true even for just the topic of the gospel. The chances of all of these definitions agreeing are pretty slim, right? You're going to get a wide range. Even if I pulled the room and asked you guys to say what you thought the gospel meant, we're going to get a wide range. But I wanted to share a few examples that might be familiar. So I did what we all do when we want examples for things. I did a Google search. And the one I, first one I want to share with you guys is from the Cambridge Dictionary. If you can put that up. The Cambridge Dictionary defines the gospel in this way. Any of the four books that contain the details of the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. It's a pretty good definition. The next one, Wikipedia says the gospel is a message about salvation by a divine figure, a savior who has brought peace or other benefits to humankind. Not a bad definition, right? Bible.org says when Christians refer to the gospel, they are referring to the good news I don't know why they put quotes over either of those. They're referring to the good news that Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for our sin so that we might become the children of God through faith alone in Christ alone. You can put the next slide up. There's nothing wrong with any of these definitions necessarily. You may have heard some of these. You may have used some of these in some context. But each of the definitions I think are limited in some way. The first one defines the the gospel as specific books of the Bible, but it says nothing about how those books affect the people who read them, right? There's just, it's just books. The second one is just really vague. It's a divine, divine figure. It says nothing about Jesus or his life or ministry. And the third one probably sounds the most familiar. I know it's, I heard thing, definitions like that growing up, but notice what's missing from the definition. It says nothing about Jesus' life. It says nothing about the incarnation, the idea that God came to be flesh. It says nothing about the fact that Jesus is God. It says nothing about his resurrection or the spirit of God in our midst. So it's a very limited definition. And because there's so many options for what gospel might mean, we tend to use whatever definition fits the context And we might wrap it up with meanings that we're gathering from a bunch of different places. And then that's what we read back into the Bible when we hear the word gospel there. There's all these, you know, definitions that we may have just pulled from other places. But I think there's a definition that can help ground us in what the gospel is and what it means for us. And that's the word gospel itself that we find in scripture so our anchor passage for today, we're gonna, I'm going to have it up on the screen, but it's also on your paper if you'd rather read it in front of you, is from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then 14 and 15. So I want to take a look at that together. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Mark 1, starting with verse 1, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And down to verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. 
Now, if you noticed when I was reading, the word gospel doesn't actually appear in the text. But it's there. It's all about the translation um, of the word. When I was a kid, I loved learning the history of words, of why the words we're using today got to how they, you know, what, where did they start and how did they shift and how has the meaning changed over time? I loved all of that stuff. And that has translated as an adult to being a little bit of a language geek. So we are going to look at the Greek for just a moment, just a hint of a moment, because our word gospel, the history of that word starts with this word right here in Mark 1 when it was translated from Greek to English. So the Greek is euangelion. I think that's how you say it. If not, I'm making it up, and you'll just have to go with it. And that is the Greek word, and it's actually made up of two different words that are put together. There's you, which means good, and angelo, which means news, or if it's talking about a person, it means messenger. So that's the word angel. You might recognize that, angelo. Good news, or good message. So that's the direct translation. And so while gospel wasn't in our anchor passage, Good news was in there three different times. And the way that we got from good news to gospel was when English speakers, specifically Anglo-Saxons, translated it. Then when they translated euangelion, good news, you stay on the, the Greek slide for a second. Um, they translated it to Godspell, which means good story. And then we shortened it to gospel. So that's how we got there. Good news, Godspell, gospel. And so if we want to know, you can go to the Mark 1 slide again. If we want to know what the gospel is and how it might impact our lives, this seems like a pretty good place to anchor, to really sort of put a pin, to say this is what the gospel means. And Mark sets up his telling of the life of Jesus in this way, as we see on the screen. The beginning of the good news, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So right here, he's saying right here, this story is where the good news begins. This is where the gospel starts. And this story, this gospel, this good news is about Jesus. You can, I think the next slide, yep. The good news, the gospel is about Jesus. All around us, we hear conflicting versions of what counts as good news. Conflicting stories, conflicting focuses that, be, that come like interference that make it hard for us to tune into the voice of God. The image I thought of when I was thinking about this interference is like an old radio. You guys know the sound if you've ever listened to a radio, the <laughs> when you're trying to turn to a channel and you hear the little snippets of words and you don't quite get there and sometimes you go a little too fast and you go on to the next sound. It's like when you're trying to find that station, trying to find the thing to listen to, and you have to turn the dial just right, or all you get is fuzz. So all these other definitions of good news compete and drown out the idea that Jesus is the good news. So we hear things all over the world about what the good news is. The good news is winning the lottery. The good news is getting a bigger or better car. The good news is the newest iPhone. Right? The good news is your team winning the Super Bowl. I know that's a little close to home this week, <laughs> maybe for some of us in this room. The good news is your candidate winning the election. The good news is politics, philosophies, worldviews, news, information, entertainment. It all 
crowds around us like static in our ears that just drown it out and make it hard for us to understand or recognize or live out the good news when we hear it. We can even get interference from our own religious backgrounds, if you want to go to the next slide, telling us that the good news is only about sin, the good news is only about individuals, or it's only about doing good works, or only about prosperity, only about getting somewhere after we die. All of these voices make it hard for us to tune in to what the good news actually is. And despite the static, and you may remember this experience, I have very strong memories of it, when you turn the dial on the radio just right, and all the fuzz goes away, and the music starts, right? And there's this relief that happens. So when it comes to the gospel, Mark is inviting us and showing us where to turn the dial. The good news starts right here. The good news is Jesus. You can go to the next slide, please. Um, Let's do one more. If we look at another part of our anchor text, verse 1-4 tells us that John came proclaiming a baptism for the repentance of the forgiveness of sins. And just a few verses later, In verse 14, Jesus comes proclaiming the good news of God. This seems to be a key difference between the preaching of these two men. John preaches about repentance and sin as he's preparing the way for Jesus. That's what verses 2 and 3 tell us is his job. His job is to prepare, and he does this by inviting us to turn away from our sins. And then Jesus comes, and he proclaims the good news of God. I think sometimes, though, we get stuck just at John's proclamation and to think that that's all the good news is about, just about forgiveness of sins. But the coming of the kingdom of God includes that, and it includes so much more, because Jesus proclaims the good news of God, and he does it in this one sentence. We could put that sentence up. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. And so Jesus preaches and defines the good news in this way. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. And then he spends the rest of his ministry living out that good news. After declaring the beginning of God's kingdom come to earth, Jesus spends his whole ministry showing us what it looks like to live in that kingdom, showing what the good news looks like in our world and in our lives. You put up the next one. He invites people to follow him. He heals illnesses. He repairs broken relationship. He restores community. He sends his followers to give and receive hospitality in the world. He invites us to forgive, to love our enemies, to care for the poor, to notice the overlooked ones, the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, the outcasts. He gives away his power and authority to the point of dying on the cross, and then God raises him from the dead and sends his spirit into the world to release others, to share the good news of the kingdom. This is what it looks like to live the good news. And so when Jesus comes, he brings with him the kingdom of God. He says, this kingdom, this kingdom is near now. It's a kingdom that's focused on the forgotten people, a kingdom that uses power not to gain more power, but to lift up people who have none. 
a kingdom that heals and forgives and turns over tables and notices children and unleashes the spirit of God in the world. This is good news. And this good news begins right here. When Jesus arrives and he proclaims and he says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near. And he goes on to say, repent and believe in the good news. If you could put that slide up, please. Yes, thank you. The good news isn't something that Jesus just wants us to learn about, to memorize and to be able to recite it to other people, to define if somebody says, what is the gospel? And you have to be able to give it in a sentence. That's not the goal here. We're invited to live into this good news because Jesus announces the arrival of the kingdom and then he asks us to join in. He says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is here, repent and believe. And to repent is to change our direction, to change our perspective, to change our minds about a thing. It's like turning the dial on the radio. We were tuned into a different channel that told us what the good news was. And now we tune in to Jesus. We repent by giving up that fake good news that tells us to focus on things that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Because wealth isn't important, not ultimately, Fame isn't ultimately important. Being good enough isn't going to save us, and neither will our politics or the newest technology. That's all static. That's all distraction. It keeps us from tuning into Jesus. Jesus declares this good news and then asks us to repent, to change direction and turn towards God. And he also invites us to believe in the good news. We tend to act as if belief is something that we just think about, But it's more than just our thoughts. If somebody says to you, you've got to believe me, what are they actually asking? They're asking you to live as if the thing they said was true. (laughs) To live it. And if I ask my husband to pick up some bananas on the way home from work, I show my belief in him by waiting for him to bring bananas home instead of going out to get them myself, right? If I say, bring me bananas, and he comes home and I'm like, oh, I already got some. I showed no belief in his ability to do that. And so if we believe that God's kingdom has come near, as Jesus said, then it should influence the way that we live our lives. To believe in the good news means living it out in our lives. To live as though the kingdom of God's already here. To live as though Jesus gets to oversee everything in our lives, our relationships, our choices, our finances, everything. We live out the good news by engaging in the kingdom of God in our midst. We live out the good news by turning away from our sins and by offering hospitality in our neighborhoods. Because that's also part of what the kingdom of God looks like. You can put the next slide up, please. We live out the good news by taking care of the overlooked in our communities, by telling others about this coming kingdom by changing structures in our community that keep people in poverty. We live out the good news by working with other people to eliminate violence and mental illness and injustice. Not eliminate, reduce, sorry. (laughs) And I love this quote from the Bible Project video. If you could put it up, please. Something happens when people tell the story of Jesus and start living like he really is the king of the world. That's when the gospel becomes the best news that you've ever heard. When we turn towards Jesus and live into this good news of the kingdom, it doesn't always mean that we're never going to go hungry. 
It doesn't always mean that we're always going to have the things we need. It doesn't mean that our illnesses will go away. But the kingdom coming near means Jesus is here with us. And that good news should make a difference, not just in our individual lives, but in our communities, in our neighborhoods. I've heard it called an already but not yet kingdom because we live in this tension because Jesus said, good news, the kingdom is here, but it's also not completely here yet, is it? Because we feel that tension every day. He announced its beginning, but its fullness hasn't arrived because there are people in our lives who don't know yet that this kingdom is here. And there are people who do know the kingdom's here, but still don't act like it. (laughs) And maybe that's us from time to time. And the world is offering us their version of good news, constantly. But it's good news that often prioritizes some people while leaving other people out. It's good news that urges competition and hoarding and develops structure that keep people from from gaining access to things that they need. But we have good news to share with the world, and it's the same news that Jesus shared when he arrived on the scene. You've waited long enough for things to change. God's kingdom is here. Now it has begun in the person of Jesus. When we see the brokenness of the world around us, it's good news that there's an alternative kingdom that we can live into. And there's so much brokenness, wars and injustice, COVID, cancer, debt, homelessness, broken relationships. And all of that brokenness builds up like a painful static in our heads that keeps us from being able to hear the good news that God wants to give us. It can make us think there isn't good news available. But when we tune in, when we turn that dial to listen to Jesus, there's relief. Because Jesus is the good news that we have been waiting for, and we have waited long enough. We've waited long enough. Jesus is Lord, and his coming brought the kingdom of God near. That's the best possible for us, for our families, for our communities. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are so grateful for your good news, for the fact that you have invited us to to turn our hearts and our lives to see you for what you are, that your coming has broken into our world brought a new kingdom and a new way of life. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come. Thank you that you are still here. Would you help us to hear your good news in the midst of everything else that's competing for our attention, for everything else that can be so loud? Jesus, can we hear your good news that the kingdom is here and now and that you have invited us into it? Would you help us to turn towards you? Would you help us to live as though your kingdom is here? We pray this in your name.